This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, innovations in enrollment management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Welcome, everybody. Uh, This is Enrollment Resources Talk on how to create a culture of innovation. And my name is Greg Meeklejohn. I'm a co-founder of uh, Enrollment Resources along with uh, Shane Sparks, who will be also presenting with me today, and uh, Tom King, who is a leader in our area of um, uh, admissions uh, innovation. So uh, to, that's us, and we are here on behalf of FAME. And, you know, of all the vendors that are within the higher education space, uh, FAME stands out as a a high integrity organization uh, they do they they measure twice cut once they're very methodical and practical in building out their offerings and they're consistent um, and we just love these guys and they've asked us to come and, and give a talk on some things that are kind of around the edges of financial aid and kind of around the edges of student information systems but it all feeds into the bigger picture of, of having excellence uh, in what, what we do every day in the higher education field. So to that end, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to uh, just flesh, have an open-ended conversation, Tom, Shane, and I, around innovation as it relates to your school. Uh, we have speakers' notes here that are just going to kind of broadly guide us on the topics. But in looking at these speakers' notes that you created, Shane, man, this is uh, very close to a really good white paper and I'm thinking we should give the folks on the call a white paper on this uh, after we're done, hey? I think that's a great idea. This, cool. I'll tell you, this is a topic that is kind of near and dear to, to my heart, and I think your heart. And the reason for that is that in our company, we, we certainly view our place in the market as an innovator and have worked really hard over the, you know, what, 14 years, 15 years now to um, – create that culture in our company so we can find those really good ideas and we can kind of do things that no one else has been doing to help the schools we work with to thrive. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where this conversation goes today and, uh, you know, build on this and the white paper is a great idea. Cool. Uh, now, just doing an administrative check-in before we begin, I noticed some of the phone lines here are a tiny bit garbled. If either of you guys happen to be on speakerphones, you can go and eliminate that um, so we can get the, the, the sound quality just to be a little bit better. Um, okay. Oh, that's much better. Let's, um, let's first talk about innovation in general. We've heard this term, innovation. It, um, it's been bandied about a lot all over the place. And, you know... Does it really have value? Is it just some kind of a hackneyed term that gets used to shut people up? Or, you know, like, what gives? Uh, Shane, what are your thoughts? Well, okay, so I, I think people mistake innovation and technology, and they use them synonymously, and they're not. Here, here's, I think, a fair definition. Innovative co- innovation is around giving your company a competitive advantage over us. Right, and it's um, I don't know the gasoline that fuels the, ignites the fire, 
kind of thing. And so if you can if you can find ways to be better, right, to be different, better, to be more effective, more efficient, deliver things cheaper, um, deliver things in a more engaging way, and you, you can parlay that into a, a competitive advantage, that's hugely beneficial to your organization, right? Because you naturally are going to be more profitable, you're going to have higher sales, you're going to um, attract greater market share, and you're going to win. Is that a fair ah, definition? That's a great definition. So, you know, in a practical sense here, you're tying uh, innovation into return on investment, increased sales, and, and revenue. So, Tom, I guess, you know, you're on this call. You have more of a, a linear thought process. Um, uh, from that perspective and from Shane, what Shane's speaking about, talk to us about your slant on innovation. You've built up things from scratch and turned around yeah, schools. I think when you look at the traits of top companies in any industry, you know, whether it be a, you know, a Walt Disney or a Google or Amazon or any of those type companies, any, any great company uh, are innovators. They're disruptors. They're, they're looking to, to come up with something uh, that, that's going to help, you know, push them, uh, you know, farther ahead. And I, I think having that willingness to uh, step out of your comfort zone and try new things, uh, those are the companies that, you know, that not, you know, not being afraid to fail, uh, those are the companies that succeed anywhere. And then when you bring that to the school business, uh, going back to that, you know, my, my days with, with, a, with a school for about 13 years, I mean, we, it was constant innovation and trying to one-up ourselves to, to push ourselves harder and farther uh, and, and set some, some maybe ridiculous goals that even if you don't achieve them but you get close, uh, it puts you so far ahead of, of the competition. But again, yeah, so that's a really interesting point. So to, to my question um, would be, do you have to be a, a disruptor to be an innovator? Um, is that something that's required? Do you have to, you know, you hear the, the term about, you know, um, creative destruction, destroying an old model of a business to go and create a, a brand new innovative one. Do we have to go as schools to that extreme to go and, and be an innovative organization? Um, or can we get away with innovating without having to disrupt and destroy? Um, yeah, it's, that's like a half measures versus full measures kind of question. Well, well, no, I guess, well, yes and no. I guess my question is, like, is it a half measure versus a full measure, or can innovation be done in such a way that it's um, uh, it's it's not a half measure? It's a can innovation be done full, in a full measure without disrupting and destroying a business? I guess is my question. Sure, yeah. My personal view is that it requires disruption of something, right? And, and you, know, it doesn't, you don't have to blow up your whole business model, but um, uh, there has to be some fundamental change, right? Because, like, if you think most organizations, schools, pretty much any small business or most businesses, 
what they do is they look at what their competitors are doing and they go, oh, we should we better do that. You know, the place down the street's doing this, we should do that. They're charging this, we should charge about the same, or maybe a little bit less to give a price advantage. And there's this, and then they all look at each other and they're kind of just chasing each other, right? And then somebody goes, you know what, screw it, this is dumb. We're just going to do our own thing. We're going to be different because it makes more sense. And all of a sudden, they're totally differentiated and start to get um, more market share and more share of customer, and uh, they're more profitable. Interesting. And that, you know, that requires you know, willingness to kind of swim against the prevailing current, but it, that's really the only way. Interesting. Yeah, and I think as a school, you can. I think as a school, you don't have to necessarily always be disrupting the market, but you might have to disrupt standards and practices that maybe are accepted and and utilized everywhere. You can be you can disrupt your internal practices. Um, you know, companies like Enrollment Resources and so forth, we may disrupt the market with, with products, but from a school standpoint, you don't have to necessarily disrupt the actual market, um, but you can disrupt uh, you know, accepted practices and so forth and step out on your own and be innovative. Okay, so you guys feel that some degree of disruption um, or in an extreme case, destruction of a business model, um, creative destruction is a, a crucial pre-step in order to have a, a culture of innovation. Is that that's fair? Yeah. Eh? Is what you're saying? Yeah, everything's yeah. got to be on the table. Oh, interesting. Open-mindedness. So you know, if I think about, um, I, I don't know what the, the characteristics of a of innovators, right? Creativity, open-mindedness, uh, willingness to look at things with fresh eyes, willingness to slaughter sacred cows. Right. Those are the that's the kind of traits that are the raw material for this kind of a effort. So how does that square up with the whole movement, business movement of, of systemization of processes and locking down processes um, such as the Gerber movement, uh, you know, the Michael Gerber movement? Uh, how does that square up? with the whole school of wanting to, like fame, for instance, their job is to go in and uh, really smooth out chaos and, and eliminate chaotic elements so that businesses will run in a smoother manner. How does the, the whole notion of or the whole culture of innovation square up with your accounting department or your, or your requirement to, create ways of work that are smooth and systemized. Tom, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, at least throw this out there, that when, when you are innovating, uh, to whether it's the sm- slightest degree or you're you know, a major innovator, uh, that change requires uh, steps and processes to be put into place for the team to follow uh, so that they can at least understand how to implement the innovation because many times those things are, are, are quite different than what they're used to. So having to systemize things and, and put processes in place that are innovative 
maybe so foreign to people that uh, they, they do need a path to run on um, until, they get, uh, until they get comfortable, if they ever do. And hopefully your, your people don't get comfortable and you can continually innovate those processes uh, where everyone's always just a little bit on that edge of, hey, this is new, I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone, I'm learning something, uh, but I do need to have a track to run on. So culture of innovation also requires your all your staff to be in a a constant have a constant thread of uh, anxiety running through them every day when they go to work. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Uh, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's daily, you know, um, daily concern or or anxiety, but uh, there's always at least that little bit of edge of hey, something new could be coming down the road. Or something new is coming, and hopefully it's more excitement than anxiety. So, Shane, really what we're talking about here is to have a culture of innovation within an organization. You have to really hire and, and nurture people who have a predisposition to expansive thinking. Um, like I think you were, used the word yes and instead of no but. Um, uh, ideas bubble up from the, the bottom versus the top down. Um, you want to let's expand on that. Sure, it's a there's a, there's a yin and a yang to this thing, right? And so you you've got on the extremes the uh, on the extreme ends you have, I don't know, high technology companies, app developers, right, that are like innovating like crazy, but they operationally are a mess and they're not functional businesses and they blow up. On the other end, you've got highly rigid, very operationally sound businesses that haven't changed their model in years, and they, they die, right? They're like the Kodaks of the world. Right, and they die through a slow, uh, in it's like a cook the frog thing, and they, through a yeah. slow, imperceptible kind of atrophy because they just get fat and comfortable. Well, that's it, and, and they're, they're so operationally minded that, hey, it, Things run smoothly, and, and you know every form is filled out perfectly. But um, you know they lose their competitive advantage, and they and they die. And what what this is is you need both, right? You need you, you can't the business can't function in chaos, and you need sound operational practices. But you, you, you got to be operationalizing something that's worth buying, right? And, <laughs> You know, what, what comes to mind for me, you guys, in terms of, of innovation is, you know, there, in business there needs to be structure so as, like you say, it doesn't turn into this, you know, gong show that just blows up. But there has to be an environment where innovation can thrive. And how I kind of visualize it is if within every staff person, that every employee that's within a company they have a like a virtual laboratory, innovation laboratory that's attached to their workspace that they can go play in. And the laboratory has walls and it has a floor and a ceiling and it has beakers and propane. And they get to play and try, try stuff out. But it's done within a sandbox is a term I hate, but it's a, but it's a laboratory where salespeople can go and, and work in their laboratory on innovative projects. They can invite other people into their laboratory. I don't know. Is that a goofy yeah. analogy? No, I, I think that's a fair, totally fair analogy. Mm -hmm. Really what we're talking about is culture, right? And maybe that's the first kind of real tip in all of this. 
the, the culture you create in, a, in an organization determines whether you got a shot at being an innovator or not. And so things like, uh, I don't know, a flat management culture, right, where there's not multiple layers of approvals that you know, are basically idea killers, right, where people just don't bother trying things because they know, well, it's got to go up five, through five sets of approvals. It's never going to get said yes to. So if I may jump in, so with a, a hierarchical um, or steep management um, uh, uh, hierarchy where people are having to go up two, three, four um, levels, there's a whole internal competitiveness where people are trying to crawl off the backs of those above them to get raises in, within the company. It's like a internal competition where you know, like gerbils, they eat their young. Um, well, that's a horrible yeah. analogy, actually. But, you know, the innovation, what you guys are saying is innovation doesn't thrive when there are people who are trying to crawl on the, up the ladder off the backs of their friends. No, because that, that's a, a highly competitive culture. And that's fine. You know, like competition and desire to win are all important things. I'd kind of slot them in the operational side of the balance between these two things, right? Because the, the, the problem with competitive culture is they, is they fixate on transactional things, right? Or short-term KPIs or, you know, I, I got to make my start goal this month. And, you know, they fixated on winning today. But what they're not fixated on is, how do we create an environment where we win all the time, right? And so instead of having effort in order to meet a start goal, how do we create something that's so compelling that heck, people just want to buy it? And that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the balance, right? Does that make sense? Makes total sense. So, Tom, what are your thoughts on uh, Shane's uh, comments here? No, I, I, I think he's right on. I, I think it's have that, uh, that culture where – Creativity is allowed to 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 rise up from 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 any level, and you know there, there's obviously always going to be some competitiveness there, but maybe it's competitiveness for achieving new ideas uh, and new innovations as much as um, you know some of the traditional methods uh, you know are things that we think about with, with competition. Um, but I think it's that open-mindedness, and and uh, you know I remember back to um, uh, an admissions hiring uh, article um, that enrollment resources put out, and one of the things that uh, was a was was a key factor in hiring admissions reps was someone with a learning mindset. And uh, you know, I think that it's not just an admissions rep that needs to have a learning mindset. I think that's uh, you know, throughout your organization, if you can bring those types of people on um, that have that uh, learning mindset uh, and open-mindedness uh, that they can uh, expand and contribute uh, and come up with some great creative ideas uh, and that upper management allows those things to kind of take shape and try it out and things may fail, but uh, that, I think that's, that's what you're looking for. Now, it's interesting. That, so really, it gets down to people. One of the things that we hear about is that innovation is the, is the cudgel of uh, creative people. And you know, I would argue that's not the case. I would say that, um, sure, creative people can be innovative, 
um, you know, the whack on the side of the head kind of a thing while one's out trudging through the snow. Um, but I, I would argue that um, innovation can thrive through an iterative exploration or an appreciative inquiry, inquiry, which is traditionally the home of those that are highly analytical, um, scientists. Uh, Einstein maybe was a uh, not so much a, a, a wild creative mind where things popped into his head versus a uh, an, an iterative thinker. I butchered that word, but that's you guys catch my drift. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Like creative people are great. Um, they they. Well, okay. So are we talking about creative people or artistic people? Because I find these are used analogously, and then I don't think they're at all the same thing, right? So you get, uh, you know, the the wild artist, right? The you know the you know creative kind of not very practical, um, uh, free spirited kind of person. That's a different person than a good creative person. Or, or okay. I should say creativity is not unique to one character type. Like, you know, Craig, I wouldn't call you an artistic person. I would certainly call you a very creative person. And okay. they're vastly different things. That's All right, so why don't you put some meat on that, Shane? That's an interesting distinction. And then after you're done, get Tom to weigh in from his perspective on this. Yeah, creativity is just the ability to make um, connections between things where there's not an obvious connection. Right. So, so if you, uh, you, 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 I don't know what would be a good example. The, um, uh, well, there's a famous Steve Jobs example where he, when he was in college, he was just kind of randomly taking courses and he took some typography course or a calligraphy course, you know, which, you know, had no direct bearing on what his life plans were if he had life plans at that point. But what happened was they started developing Apple. He, he gained an appreciation of typography, of fonts, you know, how, uh, how important they are to aesthetic. And that was one of Apple's key competitive differentiations is that they were way less ugly than the IBM Microsoft people and which created a whole market for them. And so, it, Shane, and what you're saying is that, that connection. Yeah. so what you're saying is Jobs took a uh, two disparate items, which would be technology and the, the beauty of visual art, we'll say, and yeah, maybe there was a third, a third leg on that stool being design, um, or maybe design is a hybrid of art and, and function. Um, and that he went and doubled down on taking technology and making it beautiful, which is, a, yeah. I would call that um, disparate thinking, you know, connecting. But certainly at the time it was, right? Yeah. When, all the, when everything was emerging, you know, do you remember how ugly computers were? Like how yeah, they were to... horrible, big boxy things. Well, and, and when the interface, when you're trying to type like back in the day, it was horrible. It was it, for a lot of us who can't don't function well in that kind of a situation. It, 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 be, it made me feel like a robot. I hated it. So, yeah. for, for what that's worth. You know, the I other one he, that comes to mind would be like a disparate thinker is uh, Glenn Campbell. So, um, Glenn Campbell... 
was a uh, the lead guitarist for the Beach Boys, and he was actually he he was uh, he played uh, guitar like in a very hard kind of uh, bluesy rock rocking rocky kind of way. But he he was looking at taking um, that whole pop pop music scene and infusing it with country. And so what he did was he he took at that time, which is a radical thought, was to take country music and pop music and fuse it together and have the music bridging from country stations to pop music stations. And because he had his experience as a, I guess a rock, rock guitar player, and he just happened to have a beautiful voice. And then he went in and he started building out songs, country songs, but applied production values that were more pop oriented. He became mm-hmm. the first. Now you may hate Glenn Campbell, if you know, like, but that's not my point. My point is, is that was a guy who, who had a, an ability to have disparate thoughts and have his legs in different camps and fuse them together. Is that kind of where you're heading with this? That's right. So Tom, I, you know, if I you, can jump you, on that. You'll go, yeah. You'll go quick you, too. You're from Cleveland. Uh, You hate Glenn Campbell. (laughs) Uh, I do know Glenn Campbell. Uh, And uh, if you look at a lot of the great inventions that have that were uh, that have come out, a lot of them were not the most creative people. A lot of them were scientists and, as you said, linear uh, thinking people. But a lot of things have been created by accident, just through innovation and trying. Penicillin. Uh, you know, was one that wasn't the intent was, Hey, he had mold in a Petri dish and created penicillin. And uh, if you look at um, things like um, post-it notes and x-rays, those were all things that came out of kind of accidental trying to, to innovate uh, in one, in one direction and something else comes out of it. That's just as good or, or better. Um, and again, those are, a lot of, again, scientists, engineer-type people who, again, so you don't have to necessarily be the most creative. You just have to have um, that learning mindset or that, that desire to, to want to improve something. Um, and it may not be the result you were trying to get to, but you may have discovered some other great way of reaching students or, you know, an invention somewhere else or, or, or something like that. So I think anyone okay. uh, that yeah, has that so mindset can, can compete. That's an interesting point. So that's the kind of happy accident idea, right, where it's some, something happens that, you know, was unanticipated but is of great benefit. So how do, how do you create a place? You know, I'm still trying to make this a bit more practical. How do we make that – how do we do that in our schools where we can create an environment where these happy accidents can kind of happen – and we can find something really amazing that uh, we wouldn't have thought of through some kind of iterative process. Well, there's the perfect segue where the people in the call, we're going to um, leave with them with some specifics. And really when I, I say specifics, I mean some basic structures that schools can put in place where they can um, pursue an objective, say it's, I want my school to be what Tesla is to electric cars or Apple is to smartphones or what have you. Um, that's the, the lofty goal. 
and then within the laboratories of of the employees you um, create an environment for them to pursue the truth or to pursue that lofty goal um, and there's a broad framework but no meddling and and so ah, oh, that's a courageous thing to do let's talk about some of these specifics along these lines so Shane you make an interesting point that when people are refining things that is a linear process you know you're making your little refinements um, in in our marketing we call that split testing um, but you're saying that innovation is non-linear it's that as you spoke to earlier it's it's disparate thinking and that the, the mistake that people make is that they don't understand the difference between refinement and innovation so why don't you expand on that yeah so if uh, hey okay team we're gonna go come up with some ideas let's brainstorm right and so we start brainstorming uh, and refinements so an example would hey people aren't showing up to appointments how could we get more people to show up to appointments and they start bringing hey let's book appointments within 24 hours let's send an email reminder let's text them those are all good ideas they're not innovative so much as they are um, iterative improvements, r refinements. The, the innovative question would be, how come people don't show up to appointments? Who else does a great job of getting people to show up to appointments? What could we change about our approach that would, that would um, just turn the whole thing on its ear somehow? Like in that kind of, where you're trying to connect non-obvious things or non-linear things, and looking maybe outside your sector or looking at best practices and, and what, um, you know, non-related businesses do that have a similar problem somehow solve that. So the one example that we noted here was that, um, uh, you know, people don't want to show up to a school for an interview because maybe they're scared, they're intimidated, it's logistical issues. And so what one could do is they could steal from the financial planning industry and actually go to the home of the prospective student. Now, Tom, when you were running your technical school in Ohio, I know that you guys actually took this innovation on and, and had tremendous effect with it You've told stories about sitting on milk crates on dirt floors in Virginia, or no disrespect to people in Virginia, but <laughs> why don't you expand on, on what we just, I'm bringing up here. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, to, you want to look at, you know, what other, how are other industries maybe doing something that you, you want to uh, accomplish, and you know, we, we did a really great job of, of going to the prospect as opposed to forcing the prospect to come in, especially when there was uh, some distance involved. And I know many schools are going to think, well, look, if they can't come in for an appointment, how are they going to show for the first day of class? And I'm sure there's something to that as well. But we're, we're looking to, to make it easy for the prospect to, to, to buy from us. And if that means we go to their home, and have a chance to sit down with them in their in their setting, uh, with the entire buying committee and parents and friends and anyone else that we can have there. Um, we've made it easier for them to potentially purchase. Uh, 
uh, and we've we've changed the way that the game is normally played. Uh, it doesn't mean we still can't do a great qualifying quality interview um, just because the, we went to the prospect. So thinking outside the box and coming up with with something, you, know, you don't want to make too many hurdles. So what are the hurdles that we can overcome um, to help this prospect uh, make their decision that's going to help them uh, down the road? So, you know, taking taking the interview or the career planning session to them is one great way to, one great way to do it. Yeah, one quick thing, Shane. Uh, another thing to do is uh, if your school is uh, close to a Starbucks, then you just uh, meet people at the Starbucks close to the mm-hmm. school. You do your qualification part of your interview there, and then it's a tiny baby step to wa- walk the short block from Starbucks to the school. The point being is that that whole thinking, it, it, it can easily be grabbed by uh, um, just looking at other industries. Um, you know, a little t- a tip is uh, if you're thinking of uh, changing the look and feel of your website, as an example, um, think about where your target markets hang out and what they love to look at. They love to look at Oprah Magazine. So if they love to look at Oprah Magazine and you're sharing the same target market as Oprah, then you know you have to understand that Oprah has, has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars innovating and testing in terms of layout and colors and all that stuff that sit inside that magazine. So rather than trying to go and refine what you're presently doing, why not just go right outside of your design community and go look at what the most successful people, companies in the world are doing and just steal it. And I'll throw one more quick one out there uh, is the tour, the, the, the campus tour. I mean, a lot of schools do the same thing and I've been to a lot of campuses and seeing very similar layouts uh, everywhere, but, you know, I think when we're on the phone setting appointments, we're, we're trying to sell a little bit of Disneyland to our prospects. So when they come in, I mean, steal some of the ideas that, that Disney has for their theme parks for your, for your campus tour without the characters, although you may have your own. Uh, but at least having, <laughs> you know, pe- people feel that, the, you know, the, the staff should feel that, hey, as soon as we step out of the doors into the labs, we're on stage. And we need to make sure that uh, we're professional and curious. But, you know, every little detail of how things look and where logos are placed and, uh, you know, they, they've got it down to a, a science at, at Disney. You never really see people cleaning uh, there, but they're doing it all the time. But they kind of come out of these little doors or hallways, clean something, go right back in behind a wall. So they're, it's in, out, quick or things don't look like what they really are. They may, may be a cleaning machine, but it's disguised as something else so that you, you walk by, you don't even know what they're doing. Just little ideas like that that can turn your school's tour uh, into a fantastic experience. But those are the things that, that's where you really innovate as, as opposed to, hey, let's, let's paint a wall or let's make sure we, we get them to financial aid and talk to a student. Well, those things are great, but some of the other real innovations are how does it look and present and what's that takeaway lasting image that that student's going to get 
You know, those are the stuff you take so, from Disney and others. So, Tom, what you're saying is your school could be a world of laughter. It could be a world of cheer, a world of hope, <laughs> a world of fear. You know, it really is a small world after all. for days now. Uh, okay, kidding. listen, let's move on to another topic as, in terms of specifics, in terms of creating a platform for innovation. And so... On this call, there might be some owners um, who are C-level people, and so I apologize if anybody gets offended. But you get these transactional C-level guys that um, just strip the, strip the life, strip the spirit out of the, the, the staff, and it's impossible to create a culture of in, innovation because they're just beating this ROI drum, got to meet my KPI drum, got to keep the board happy drum and and it creates such a, an emulsive of, in terms of fear the staff pick it up and then they just start they refocus from hey I want to innovate I want to make my little area better to I want to keep my job man and I got kids to feed and uh, I will just do whatever it takes to follow the path of this guy that's running the show and in the meantime the school starts to rot it starts to rot from the inside out. I don't know, Shane. Is that too harsh, or? Uh, no, no. It's uh, it's really what it is. Is it's making it safe to fail. Like, and that sounds horrible, but it's 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 absolutely the truth. Because if you're if you're not willing to fail, you're not willing to try things, right? Because an absence of failure means all you can do is repeat what is known. And then you never change. So the, the, the make it safe to fail means that people can take initiative and their career trajectory is not dependent on whether their one idea succeeds or fails or not. It means that there's a willingness and open-mindedness around trying new things. So if they don't try new things, it's akin to uh, that, that stultified um, – rigid environment well, it's, a, it's yeah. along the lines of it's like drinking your own bath water right so well it, it becomes an operationally focused company you become a buggy, buggy whip kind of company and mm. that's you know it's not healthy right you like you, you need both things in order to be effective so um the the the, the around safe to fail doesn't mean we want to fail but like you know, let's talk about our company for a second. So, you know, my one of my jobs is to make sure that we're we're innovating, we're coming up with new ideas, and we're trying new things. And so, as a result, I have a pretty much a, a yes policy to anything that I passes a preliminary sniff test. So, people want to try stuff. I almost always say yes, and the reason is is because I want to encourage ideas, and I want the staff to feel supported in trying things. Now, we put controls in place, and we rigorously test and measure to make sure we know if an idea is a winner or a loser. I personally am not too hung up on whether things succeed or not. Like, it's nice if they do, but the important part is that is the process around trying to get better. Because I, we, I know, and you know this, you try enough things, and eventually something's going to grab that's really powerful. 
And then yeah, you then yeah. then you have cake and celebrate. Well then, well that's it. And then once you've like even if it, if you fail ten times or twenty times or uh, it took a thousand tries to make the light bulb, right? And but once that light bulb is created, right? Like once you land, you find that thing that's an actual winner. That's permanent, right? Like that is an, a thing that now is part of your IP. It's something you own. It's like. It's, it's an amazing asset that never would have existed if the culture was one where, um, you, you know, like failure is punished. Because if failure is punished, no one is ever going to try anything. Why would so we to mitigate, uh, mitigate the harm that failure can, uh, that failure can create um, is to put, lay in safety nets. And I just visualize those tra- uh, trapeze people um, at circuses and that they always have safety nets underneath. So if they trip or wipe out, they just hit the net. And um, and so as an example, you know, radio on the surface is a good uh, um, advertising tool. Except that with radio, it's very tough to create a safety net uh, if the radio campaigns happen to fail, and then they can become exorbitantly expensive. So if there is a transactionally oriented or hierarchy, you know, you can create fantastic innovation labs inside by just putting uh, under, uh, safety nets underneath. So a great way to create a safety net is pilot projects. So um, as an example, with the software that we sell into the market, we almost always do run a pilot project with the school so that they can see if this is going to work or not. And if one out of 30 times it doesn't work, then there's the safety net there and there's a bit of time has been spent and that's it. But if you go and you have your safety net and it works, you can go into it with an open heart. You can go in aggressively with an innovation to try it out. So Tom's safety nets uh, inside of an innovative platform or a pilot um, has a tremendous, uh, it's just good business. It's like having a stop loss when you own a stock, right? Tom, do you care to expand on that a bit? Yeah, I know. I, I totally agree with that. With uh, and, a, and a good safety net, uh, which is, again, something that we espouse, is, is split testing. Uh, so you're, you're not throwing all your eggs into some, some new um, unique idea. You're, you're testing that out, and then seeing, you know, versus your control. So you've got some safety there, um, but you're also trying a new innovative tact, and if that, if that pays off, great. Um, we, we've just now created something newer and, and better. If it doesn't work out, well, we've, we've only, you know, we've only tried it out on, on half of the, the leads or half of the students or half of the visitors to our website or, or whatever it might, it might be. Uh, so there's definitely ways to, to put those safety nets uh, in there, whether it's a, a pilot project or, uh, again, split testing. Uh, a lot of ways to do that that, that will allow you to, to test those things out and, uh, and uh, well, that, be as innovative as you can. So then along the lines of split testing, within a school, wouldn't it be cool if you're a manager of a sc- within a school and you're overseeing 
four or five little split test projects that are going on in any given department, financial aid, or maybe you're trying to flip the classroom uh, and, and with some of your education delivery, or maybe you're trying to create a, uh, um, you're split testing, trying a, a new um, online FAPS uh, application or what have you. Shane, how does, you know, you do, you run the, all our split testing process here at Enrollment Resources. Wouldn't it be interesting to school people to actually become like the manager of split testing almost if there's such a job title? Well, uh, hey, you can create the job title. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd be great. Like the the, the nice thing about, marketing is that it's it's pretty empirical right so we can try two different things and we can get an empirical measure over time that hey this this did better than that or this did worse than that and then that's how we make our decisions on what to pursue and what to abandon but you can uh, do baby versions of that as long as you've got um, some some measurement of success and really, this is what, you know, remember when we did all our Kaizen training, this is just a version of Kaizen or of uh, any continuous improvement process, right? Mm-hmm. What is it we're trying to fix? What is our supposition or our, our um, um, what's called the, uh, drawing a blank, when you, the thing you think is going to happen? Right, the hypothesis. The hypothesis, thank you. You're what's welcome. What's the hypothesis? Uh, how are we going to measure whether it succeeds or not? Who's going to do it? You know, how long do we think it's going to take? And then have at it. Greg, you've been using an example that I love around split testing um, voicemail messages, right? Right. There's a simple example where, you know, admissions reps mindlessly leave voicemail messages or other departments. And, um, and so a test, a really cool test, is to bring in the best practices of direct response marketing into the world of the admissions rep who's leaving messages. Now, on the surface, that seems ridiculous because direct response marketing is, is like it's way over there, like about four silos away from that admissions rep that's just doing that, that voicemail messaging. But... If you reframe that voicemail message and go, it's a radio ad, which it is, with an audience of one or two people, it's a radio ad. It's a 15, 20-second radio ad. So if you assume the notion it's a radio ad, then you can bring in the best practices of direct response marketing, and you can split test those phone messages or the subject lines on emails or what have you. Now, the net effect is you should be able to get 5% 5% improvement on meaningful conversations in a given month. And some of you might go, oh, Greg, big deal, 5% would be. But, you know, guys, well, I'll just run the math super quick. Rep makes, um, I don't know, 40, conservatively 40 outbound calls a day. That's, uh, call it 900 outbound calls in a month. Uh, 5% of that is 45 45 more meaningful conversations on the phone that they otherwise would not get, which is six or seven students a month signed up that they otherwise would not have. So that's an example of a beautiful segue of going outside of your industry or outside of your area and stealing 
other best practices, and that's what we're famous for at ER, is just where, you know, that inbred innovation where you're just, you know, looking at some stuff that's going inside, uh, it's, it's, it's inbred, it's unibrow, it's gross. Whereas if you have the courage to look out at what's going on in the automobile industry, what's going on in the medical services and supply industry, and just analyze and take best practices, bring them into education, and test them. Shane, you are exceptionally good at doing this. Why don't you um, just spread your wings on this for the, the panel and the group and give us your thoughts. I'm, I'm just, uh, Greg, I'm just not clever enough to come up with all original ideas. It's hard. <laughs> it's, it is and, hard. And, and, it's, and it's not pointless, but it's like needlessly hard. So what, what, why not just look at other successful people? Like we, we had brought up Disney before, but like the most successful retailer and, and soon to be the richest man in the world is Jeff Bezos of Amazon, right? So Amazon mm. has spent God, God knows how much money trying to get people to buy more stuff, right? So why, why, on, why on earth would we not go to Amazon and try to, figure out what they're doing and see how we can apply that to the school business. Um, another example, we, we'd noticed, um, we, and we ran this test last year and we're running additional tests on it and I'm hoping to have a refinement by, I don't know, the end of the quarter maybe, is um, on travel sites. So if you go to most travel sites now, they have these little um, alerts that pop up and it's, hey, someone's, you know, four people booked this hotel today and 72 people are looking at this listing right now. And, and these, these little alerts are, are really designed to trigger um, kind of competition and a scarcity uh, mindset in the prospect of saying, hey, I don't want to lose a good deal on the hotel room. So, you know, we're exploring. So, so you're talking about taking a best practice that Expedia has landed on through great effort. And you go, yeah. then they're using it, and you're going, well, Expedia is making a ton of money with this. Why don't we try it? Is that what you're getting at, eh? That's exactly what I'm getting at. Why, how can we apply this to the school business? You know, mm. how can we apply the principles of Disney, which is massive, right? It's, it's the biggest employer in Orlando. How do we apply what all the work and effort, how do we steal from the best? And I guess the thing is, is it, it doesn't matter if you succeed or if you fail. It's just a matter of moving your feet and keeping the velocity uh, of, and bringing in the innovation. And then, again, you hit that home run uh, and you are... I've got, I got one more example. And this is uh, one we did. And this is, I think, the thing that's been most ripped off from us. Is, so if you see a little form on somebody's website, and there's some little check boxes like, hey, how much is tuition? You know, what are the start dates? Can you blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's a form that we developed and tested, and it was a clear winner, and we use that all the time now. That was ripped off from publisher sweepstakes. Remember the Ed McMahon direct mail? You know, those of you over 40 probably remember. Um, in, in the in the what the publisher sweepstakes folks learned pre-internet when they would mail millions of letters out trying to get people to subscribe to magazines is that if they if they had somebody take a sticker and put it somewhere else or they had they had them do something 
they were more likely to complete on the action and re- return the, the envelope. And so we reasoned that, well, let's get the prospects to do something early on that form, click a button, and it's a tiny little commitment. And as a result, it increased the likelihood someone's going to fill out the form. You know, that, it, it was our, I guess our ideas applied to education, but it was, you know, we ripped that off the, some whoever thought it out at Publisher Sweepstakes. And it's you know, subsequently uh, been ripped off by I don't know how many schools, many. Another uh, another one comes to mind is um, um, University of Phoenix in the 2000s started to develop an innovation around podcasting and webinars. Nobody else was doing it, and these guys were at the forefront. And I happened to work for these guys as an internal consultant uh, at the time, and then Shane and I spun our, our company off in 2003 two years into it we said let's just try this best practice that university of phoenix is doing i mean at the time their stock was splitting every couple of years and it's like whoa they're successful so we did and we started doing these podcasts and these webinars and for man a good five years we were the only show in town but we would get people like employees from other ad agencies and marketing companies and sales trainers coming onto our calls and just listening. And then we'd find out that they're on there, and then we would mildly embarrass them and invite them on to panel with us on the fly. <laughs> and eventually, you know, around closer to 2010, then the, a couple of these other marketing companies started to adopt this as a way for them to create relationship with people. And... Um, so, as Shane says, you know, you have to have an empathetic energy about you. You have to be looking, casting around your peripheral vision and, and looking in other industries. If I was in a school, I would have somebody go in and take a Tony Robbins program. And I would go there and have them taking notes as to what he does that's so magical in terms of getting these people all frothed up and excited and then bring it back to the educators to consider testing. Um, there's just obvious things one can do to go and... Hey, Craig. Uh, yo. I, I, I have one more example, and I, you may not even know this one. So our, our enrollment management scorecard. Uh, the scorecard is a, a best practice um, analysis of, of how your school compares to other schools. And it looks at a whole ton of stuff. That scorecard idea, which you and I flushed out over many years and, you know, really labored on, the, the, the seed of that idea came because when I was a graphic designer in the 90s, I happened to have a client who was a consultant, worked for a consultancy that served the oil and gas sector. And, and from him, I learned about this balanced scorecard. It was a way they would measure oil production on, on uh, oil rigs. And, and how they would, how they thought about it to try to create iterative improvement because, you know, that's a super high fixed cost business. And they would, if they could e- eke out a little bit more oil production per hour, that created millions in revenue. That's where that, that really the, the seed of that idea, that scorecard came from. Totally now, I, I thought it came from me when I was drunk one night and I was shooting darts or something, but I guess you're right. So. Yeah. So you so, never know where these things are going to come from. So scorecard came from the oil and gas industry. Um, yeah. Wow. 
Now, along those lines, I've noticed you guys that we're out of time, and we must say goodbye. And there's still some things to talk about here on the innovation, uh, culture of innovation. I think what we'll do is we'll do, um, we'll create a white paper on this, and we'll send it out to Fame and to all of the folks who have signed up for this call. Um, and I think what we'll do is we're going to offer, a, for the first five people that text in their name, uh, we'll offer a complimentary uh, scorecard sessions. They're valuable, uh, and they, they talk about innovation and opportunities to test things. You'll come away with things you don't know you don't know, and uh, that's always fun. And we'll do five. And so here's, here's how you do it. You text the following number. 250-391-9494. I'll say that one more time. 250-391-9494. And just say, hey, I'm in, and then we'll tip a time, and we'll have some fun together helping you look at things that you don't know you don't know and how you can apply it to your school and um, just have some fun playing. Tom, um you, Shane and I have been yakking a little while. Um, <laughs> before we say goodbye, uh, you have the last word. Awesome. Uh, I, I think the one thing that I'd like to make sure that, that everyone on this call really takes away today is try something new. And the best uh, thing I can give to owners and directors or managers on this, this call is try to have each department in your school split test something um, you know, over the next 30 days or so. So financial aid, what's a, what's a problem in financial aid? And come up with some innovative ideas to, to test. Uh, same thing in career services, admissions, marketing, uh, training. You can even look in training. You can even look at the, what, are, what paint colors on the walls promotes learning the best. Uh, is it, you know, blues and greens, which is generally accepted, or is it yellows and reds or what have you? know, do some uh, innovation and take a look and see how, how some of these things can make some incremental improvements in your school. We call it the, uh, the 2% principle here at Enrollment Resources, but what are the couple things you can try that may yield a 1% or 2% increase in either retention, enrollment, placement, any of that, and you'll be well on your way to creating a, a culture of innovation if you've got each group in your school working towards that end and maybe split test some things at least as a starting practice. Yeah, and then your your staff people, your staff, your employees get really excited. Shane, go ahead. Um, and then we got to yeah, hang up. Okay, so and so t that paint color thing I think is genius and hilarious. Um cuz imagine if you could say uh we're the we're as a school we have taken a scientific approach to creating the perfect learning environment down to the paint colors and the size of the monitors and the whatever, right? Imagine the competitive advantage if you could say we, we are the most scientifically based learning environment of any school in the world. Yes. That would be super cool. Wouldn't that be a fantastic thing to sell? Wouldn't that give your admissions team an amazing story to tell that kicked the crap out of your competitors and made it impossible for people to say no to you absolutely I, I liked your idea it just got me thinking um that's like the point of all of this 
is to have something better to sell. Like at the end of the day, we're in a very competitive world, and if you can give yourself an edge, right, whatever that edge is, you're gonna you have a much better shot of winning. And that's the point. And where this stuff ends up is in more revenue, more profit, better school, uh, you know, happier um, staff, happier stakeholders, happier students. In uh, a word, swagger. You get you get to get have some swagger. Um, yeah. Now, uh, before we hang up, it's been an hour, um, but you know there might be a couple people on the call that might have clarifying questions or comments. And before we hang up, if any of you guys want to just press star six on your phone, uh, we'll just wait a few seconds and uh, we can weigh in on any thoughts you may have. So let's start that process now. Just press star six if you want to just weigh in and say something. Okay, I think we're fine. I think everybody's good. So uh, we'll say goodbye, and uh, thank you again to Fame, which I think is is uh, deeply on its way to being a world class entity. And uh, we're blessed uh, to be able to weigh in and help some of their clients. Yeah, thank Enjoy. you very much to Fame. Absolutely. Okay. Enjoy it. Enjoy your day, everybody, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Take care. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com.